Welcome back to Plastic Surgery Decoded, the podcast where we demystify plastic surgery and unpack it into relatable concepts. I'm your host, Dr. Regina Newhan, and today we're talking about body recontouring after massive weight loss. We'll go over why it would even be indicated, what the options are, the timing of procedures, and what to expect afterwards. And there might even be a couple of things that surprise you. Remember that this podcast reflects my experience and my opinion. It is not intended to give formal medical advice, but instead you can use it to gain insight whether you are actually considering a procedure or you're just curious. So settle in for a listen and enjoy. This is an interesting topic because there are some unexpected changes in the body after massive weight loss and not just weighing less. But first, what do I mean by massive weight loss? It's a bit of a nebulous term, but generally it refers to loss of 100 pounds or more in people who are very overweight to start. This is not a concrete rule, as people losing less than 100 pounds could still fall in this category. But we're not just talking about losing 20 pounds here. And for background, how is this massive weight loss accomplished? typically either by good old-fashioned diet and exercise or by surgical means. The surgical method is referred to as bariatric surgery and can mean anything from an extensive intestinal or stomach bypass surgery to a somewhat less invasive lap band procedure. After going through this surgery and recovery, or just the plain hard work of diet and exercise, it can often take a year or more to get to the total weight loss goal. And after that, Many people are surprised to find that they're left with all of this loose, excess skin, which will not shrink back. Though the weight loss is a tremendous step towards better health, it hardly seems fair not to be rewarded with a tight body for going through all that trouble. People can be left with a deflated appearance, and that can deflate the spirit as well. Working out helps by restoring muscle tone and shape, but it doesn't help this extra skin. Clothes still may not fit in your new size or may look unsightly due to the excess rolls of skin. And these rolls can lead to rashes or skin breakdown forming in the skin creases, a problem indeed. Frankly, every square inch of the body can be affected by stretched out skin after massive weight loss, but not all of these are problematic to the same extent. In my practice, the overflowing skin of the abdomen and trunk led the pack in terms of lifestyle problems for people. And breasts are often highly complained about after weight loss for both women and men. Of course, there are differences. For women, there is a general deflation and sagging or ptosis of the breasts. For men, any excess fullness from skin here may be feminizing and undesired, and they wish to have this gone. As you might imagine, other common areas plagued by leftover skin include thighs, upper arms, buttocks, and even face and neck. Yet there can be some additional areas you probably don't think about typically for routine plastic surgery, but are particularly troublesome in massive weight loss patients and can lead to significant discomfort from constant rubbing. These include multiple back rolls, axillary or armpit rolls, inner thigh rolls, and separate upper abdominal rolls, not just lower abdomen. These may even look like extra breasts. So we've identified the problem, but what can be done? 
Well, body recontouring surgery is the approach that many patients take if they don't want to just live with this. There is no laser or skin tightening treatment that can take care of this extreme excess. The goals of recontouring surgery are, number one, to remove skin excess, and number two, to restore shape by trying to reestablish body contours that follow the underlying muscle and bone structure rather than look blocky and thick. Recontouring is a pretty broad and global term, which can incorporate a lot of different procedures. I think it's easiest to break it down into body parts, if you will, like we have just talked about. For the trunk, or midsection of the body, I want to give you a little bit more detail, because it has not been covered elsewhere in the episodes of the Plastic Surgery Decoded podcast, so I will do that in a minute. But first, I'll mention areas that have separately dedicated episodes, which can be referred to for more information. For the breasts... In males, recontouring usually involves removing the excess overlapping skin and trying to achieve as flat a chest as possible. Care is taken to position the nipple where it looks natural. Relating to this is gynecomastia surgery, which is covered in the upcoming episode number 17 on male cosmetic surgery. For women, of course, restoration of volume and position on the chest wall are the goals. Almost always, this requires a breast lift but that is typically not enough, as much of the breast tissue is gone or stretched out. Quite often, an implant is helpful, or some other means of augmentation, such as fat grafting or tissue rearrangement. For more details on breast lift and breast augmentation, please refer to podcast episodes 8 and 4, respectively. For other areas of the body, it's a matter of directly removing excess skin and perhaps any residual excess underlying fat then tightening and rearranging tissues as best as possible to achieve the desired contour. Again, longer incisions are usually involved in all of this due to the significant amount of excess skin. If you don't carry out the incision to the full length of the excess skin fold, the patient could be left with prominent corners of skin that pooch up and are affectionately known as dog ears. Yeah, nobody wants those, and they can be fixed if they do occur. Included in this category of removing excess skin and tightening the contour would be brachioplasty or arm lift, as well as facelift and neck lift. You can hear more detail about those in episode 13 for the arms and episode 12 for the face and neck. The buttock area is a little different, however, because it often needs volume restoration in addition to removal of excess skin. I go into those options in more detail in episode 14. So, now, back to the trunk. While some form of tummy tuck is very common in body recontouring after massive weight loss, a standard tummy tuck is frequently not enough. The skin excess does not just involve the front of the body. In fact, it carries all the way around to include the hips and the back. So to have a more complete rejuvenation, either an extended tummy tuck or a circumferential belt lipectomy or even a lower body lift would be considered. Of course, there are some other creative offshoot techniques out there, but here we're focusing on the more common. But what are these, you ask? Well, you may recall when we talked about tummy tucks in episode three, the standard tummy tuck incision travels across the lower abdomen and usually stops at about the front of the hip region. But again, in a massive weight loss patient with all of that extra skin, this is typically not going to be enough so an extended tummy tuck could be considered. 
That involves, after recontouring the front, turning the patient on the operating room table from side to side, of course they're carefully padded and protected, and working on removing that excess skin and remaining fat to include the hip. Now, carrying that further would be a circumferential belt lipectomy. Now, breaking down that word, lipectomy, lip means fat and ectomy means removal. So this is removal of excess fat and primarily excess skin in this case. And it goes all the way around the body, circumferentially, 360 degrees, hence the name belt. But the circumferential belt lipectomy does not really involve much undermining or lifting up and separating the skin flaps, if you will to maximize the tightness of the whole side of the body. It primarily removes the hanging over excess and is still a nice procedure. The lower body lift, however, does more. It not only removes the excess skin and fat all the way around the body, but it involves undermining or separating and loosening the skin flaps of the outer thighs and the buttocks, allowing the skin to be elevated or hiked up, if you will, towards the head before trimming off excess and stitching things closed to create a much tighter and lifted contour. All of these mentioned are big surgeries, but certainly the body lift takes the most time and work and therefore has the most downtime. Later, an inner thigh lift or thighplasty could be considered to reduce the excess skin or rolls in this region. If there is not much excess skin, then the incision can be hidden along the horizontal crease of the groin. But unfortunately, for most massive weight loss patients, there is a large amount of skin excess here. Therefore, it is not uncommon to also require a vertical or longitudinal incision from the groin crease down onto the inner thigh. The length of that incision depends on exactly how much excess skin is present and, of course, on the personal tolerance of the patient but usually it's a good compromise for the improved contour and getting rid of that excess. With any of these options for trunk recontouring, it is not uncommon to add a little bit of liposuction to the mix. There can be some stubborn areas of fat collection which weight loss has not improved enough and which are contributing to overall contour problems. A very informative discussion of liposuction can be found in episode two of this podcast. Well, what about timing? How soon after weight loss could a person get started on any appropriate recontouring? In my practice, I usually like to wait about a year after weight loss was finished to confirm not only that the weight had stabilized and that the patient was able to maintain it, but also to allow the skin to recover as much as it was going to. Furthermore, this period often gave time to make sure overall health had improved back to baseline, as problems like weight-induced diabetes or high blood pressure could lead to an increased risk of complications during or after surgery. Not uncommonly, I would have the patient get a preoperative medical clearance from their primary physician. Preoperative nutritional status needs to have returned to normal as well. There can be some chronic nutrition problems associated with some of the bariatric bypass surgeries, and this could lead to difficulty healing after future procedures, among other issues. Of course, these surgeries are relatively sizable, and a person has to be okay with some lengthy scars, though every attempt is made to keep them as hidden as possible. But usually massive weight loss patients who've decided to proceed with surgical recontouring welcome the trade-off since the hope is that the procedures will improve their lifestyle and outlook. Again, these can be big surgeries, so we need to talk about staging. 
while the thought of just walking into the operating room, having everything you want trimmed, lifted, and tucked, and then walking out a new person might be a lovely one. It is unfortunately just a fantasy and not realistic. Precisely because there is so much excess skin in this particular type of patient, it means longer incisions and therefore more sewing. As a result, there is a longer time under anesthesia, and in turn, prolonged time under anesthesia can increase the risk of complications relating to surgery or anesthesia. So what's best for the patient is to have an overall good game plan with their plastic surgeon in terms of how these desired procedures will be staged. It's important to realize that this recontouring and rejuvenation after massive weight loss is a process, not a single procedure, unless the patient has been quite clear that there's really only one body part they're concerned about. The overall surgical staging plan takes into account several things, including the effects that surgery on certain body parts will have on adjacent body parts. Too many incisions in close proximity to each other could affect blood supply issues to the remaining skin. In addition, the overall plan should take into account downtime and recovery. As an example, doing too much simultaneous upper and lower body work may leave the person nearly incapacitated in terms of trying to get around while recovering at home, even with help. Furthermore, the overall surgical staging plan is aimed at reducing risk of blood loss during and after surgery, infection risk, and even surgeon fatigue. But all of that being said, sometimes you can combine certain procedures that make sense together for ease of surgery and without conflicting recovery. An example might be arm lift combined with breast work, or abdominal rejuvenation combined with outer thighs, like in a body lift. As far as how to arrange the order of procedures, many surgeons will have a specific preference they like to follow, but often the order of staging takes into account the following. Patient preference or priorities of body regions, complexity or feasibility of the procedures, and finances. Most often insurance does not cover this type of surgery, although there have been some minor exceptions to this rule. And, how much time should be allowed to pass between these stages of surgery? The answer is, like anything else, it depends. It really depends on how well the person is healed from the last procedure and how big the upcoming procedure itself happens to be. I would say on average, there would be a six-month gap, but this certainly could be shortened for smaller procedures or lengthened if there are some other extenuating circumstances. Let's finish up our discussion by going over what to expect during and after surgery, potential complications, and future expectations. For most of the larger procedures, the patient would be asleep. Many times he or she could go home that same day, but for the bigger, lengthier surgeries, like a body lift, it is not uncommon to stay at least overnight. A lot of help would be needed at home, even just getting around to the bathroom, etc., and it's important not to skimp on this because doing too much too soon can increase the risk of complications. As an example, for a buttock lift, body lift, or a thigh lift, a person may not be able to sit in a 90-degree position for a while. Otherwise, they may risk pulling stitches apart. And the need for pain medication is always greatest the first few days. Things gradually start to taper off after that. There will most likely be drains left in place for at least several days to collect any blood or drainage which might otherwise stretch out results. Stitches are frequently absorbable, but those that are not are generally removed after one to two weeks, depending upon location and tension on the wound. 
Compression garments are often utilized to help with contouring and control swelling. They may be necessary for six weeks. Time off work and other activities also varies by procedure. But as you would expect, the more involved procedures do require more downtime. For some of the bigger ones we've discussed, potentially four to six weeks. So a patient must plan ahead and commit to this to have the best chance at a nice outcome and risk avoidance. Possible complications are not unlike what we've discussed for other procedures in previous episodes. They can sound kind of scary, but usually they do not occur that often, fortunately. There's always a risk of infection, bleeding, wound separation or some skin not surviving, scar problems, or more serious problems like blood clots, pulmonary embolism, and other potentially life-threatening complications. Your surgeon and your anesthesia team have your best interests at heart, and they're doing everything in their power to reduce your risks. But you must realize that with these surgeries, risk is always there. It's important to respect this fact, and it may influence the magnitude and timing of the procedures done. And keep in mind, most surgeons will not perform these procedures on patients who have been smoking within the last four weeks due to significant increased risk in complications. Lastly, a common question I used to get was what to expect in the future and whether or not there would be a recurrence of extra skin. My answer was, always, yes, expect it. The reason for this is the final surprise I will leave you with. When I first started doing recontouring procedures after massive weight loss oh so long ago, I noticed that the skin of these patients had developed an uncanny ability to continue to stretch and stretch. It was no longer like regular skin. So even having a very tight and taut result after a particular surgery does not mean it will be a static result. Quite commonly, that skin will relax again and faster than a non-massive weight loss person's skin might, though usually not to the same degree as where it started before surgery. So it is certainly not unheard of for patients to be interested in touch-ups or revisions later down the road, and perhaps even within a year for some body parts. But again, it comes down to a person's tolerance for the imperfect. We can never achieve the perfect body with any of these procedures we do, though a lot can be accomplished. So it's really up to the patient to recognize the great improvement they have achieved, and at some point, to simply allow themselves to enjoy it. Well, that's our show for today. Hope you enjoyed it and learned something, too. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review. Please share this podcast with someone else who might be interested. And while you're at it, check out the podcast website for related topics to explore. It's www.plasticsurgerydecoded.com. And as always, thank you for listening to Plastic Surgery Decoded.